So as many of you know, I'm in the middle, not quite the middle, of teaching the second month of the two-month course, the two-month retreat at Spirit Rock. And the two-month retreat is the longest retreat we teach at Spirit Rock, and it's a very powerful retreat to sit and to also to teach at. And for those of you, how many people have never been on a retreat? Let me get a sense. You know, raise your hands high so I can see. Okay, maybe, maybe a third of the people here have never been on a retreat. So just if you've never been on a retreat, the retreat is a very unique opportunity to begin to learn both the skills and art of practice and the realization of practice. So the skills, the art, and the realization of practice. And it's really um, traditional in almost every culture that I've ever investigated for people to take contemplative time, time away from the usual engagements in life, the usual responsibilities, the usual patterns of our life, to begin to look more closely at the deeper questions of who are we, what are we, what's the meaning of life, what's important in life. Where do, where do our values come from? What, what, what's important if our, if given the fact that we all die? How do we make sense of that? How do we make meaning of that? And the retreat is one way to take this kind of time and to both um, learn and practice and develop the teachings of the Buddha that he suggested lead to freedom, lead to the liberation of the heart. And they work. That's one of the really nice things about retreat. It works. It actually works. People find freedom. People awaken. People discover uh, an understanding of reality not based on their history, not based on what happened to them, not based on somebody's idea about who or what they should be. But they find a, a, a reality that is not based in ideas or beliefs. And one of the beautiful gifts of the Buddha is he said, don't believe what I say. He said, explore it, practice Try it out and see what's true for you. See what you discover. And so a lot of retreat practice is about developing the skills and the art of practice, of meditation and awakening. And like any art form, the, like any real discipline, whether it be dance or music or any sport like swimming or bike riding or running or whether it be painting or acting or, or whether it be the academic disciplines. There are a number of qualities that um, need to be developed in order for the skill to become an art and for the art to become fruition. 
and this is the movement of practice in general is that we come maybe you'll come here and maybe in the summer if you're new you'll take a five-week course in uh, mindfulness meditation that we offer and you start to learn the inner workings of how how to um, uh, orient the heart and mind to pay attention in a way that generally we're not trained in or we may have those skills but we're not they're not explicit they're often implicit if you're if you're uh, if you've done any discipline again in the arts or academic discipline or or raising children the discipline of raising children or the discipline of being in a relationship you develop many many skills and then meditation highlights certain skills first of all the art of composing or collecting gathering our attention in the present moment that's a skill it's a beautiful skill to know how to learn and most of us know how to do it if we see a really good movie right you know you go to a movie and you're really there you're watching the movie you're not thinking about what happened yesterday or what's going to happen in the future you're really right there with the movie meditation um, um, takes that skill and uses it in a certain way first of all it says how can we develop that skill even when things aren't so interesting aren't so compelling and so we start to pay attention to the ordinary rather than the extraordinary we start to pay attention to our bodies and our breath and our feelings and our minds and start to learn how to use our um, ability to direct our attention to gather, collect, compose because there is a power that happens when we're whole when we're more unified when we experience ourselves in a more complete way when we experience ourselves in an unfragmented way and so one of the skills is the skill of samadhi or concentration or uh, unification of heart and mind and body And there's, I mean, there's, there's so many different skills. It's almost like I could go in any direction. Patience. Any, the mastery of any skill takes patience. It takes time, first of all. And, and, and to give something time means we make a commitment. And then we follow through with our commitment. So there's a certain kind of discipline and remember the word discipline always used to mean it didn't used to mean oh, oh, doing what somebody said or being it, it used to mean discipline same as disciple uh, always had to do with learning if we want to learn something we have to learn how to give ourselves to that thing and let it teach us for example I wanted to learn how to ride a road bike and it took it's taken a few years to really learn the art the skills and the art of riding a bike and I mean I already knew how to ride a bike right just like we already know how to pay attention we know how to go to a movie and be absorbed 
but to learn in a very specific way how to get present, how to relax in that present-centeredness on the bike. First, learning even the posture of the bike, like we learn the posture of sitting meditation, or the posture of how to walk as meditation, or how to stand as meditation, or how to lie down as meditation. Those are the four uh, postures the Buddha emphasized. So there's, there's any, many, many qualities that we'll need to learn. The, the time, the commitment, the patience, the follow-through. You know, if you're expecting to get enlightened tonight, really, probably, I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that good of a teacher. If you had the Buddha here, maybe, you know, he would, he would give these talks and 500 people would get enlightened. You know, maybe one of you will, but, you know, not for sure. In, in light of the fact we don't have the Buddha here, it's very helpful to practice. <laughs> and it's true if you're a musician, maybe, maybe you're a genius and you'll pick up the, whatever it is, saxophone or the violin, and you'll just play because you're some incarnated version of Yasha Heifetz or something. But most of us won't. But if you're interested in the violin and you really want to learn how to play and you really love music and you're drawn to it, then you start to commit. Then you start to devote yourself. Then you start to practice. And if you really want to uh, learn, one of the things that you'll need to learn is how to enjoy the process. Because if, you, if, you, if we don't enjoy the process, if we're always trying to get it to the end of the process, then we're always going to be frustrated. But there's something beautiful immediately when you can play a little tune. Or when you can ride to the, you know, over your first big hill. Or when you can swim maybe, you know, for an hour. Or when you can begin to dance and you feel the body let go as you dance. You may not be up on stage yet. You may not be, you know, with a dance company you want to be. But all of a sudden you see what you seek is also here in the process of what you seek. And this is true of the meditative process, of the meditative art of the contemplative arts, that even sitting for an hour or a day or a week begins to reveal the Dharma, the Dharma that the Buddha taught, the Dharma that is said to be universal, the universal truths, the universal laws that the Buddha recognized. And he said, if we learn to come into harmony with these laws, with these truths, we will be free we will be free. The truth of impermanence. Everybody, everybody got that one down already? Right? I mean, at least intellectually. Everybody know that? That everything's impermanent? Right? Wow, this is a good group here. And then to begin to get that in your bones. 
to begin to get that understanding so it's not just an idea but a living reality Suzuki Roshi if I can remember he said it this way he said he said when I realized no moment when I realized no moment could be repeated I was enlightened and that realization what that means is it became real for him in an ongoing way not just as an idea or not just one time but as a living actuality and we all kind of know no moment could be repeated but have you ever noticed how often you try to repeat moments? <laughs> no, I mean really and this is this is part of the art of practice is being or, or the skill art I'm not sure somewhere in there which is being able to see what's true like oh I know that you can't repeat a moment but actually I try to do that over and over again I mean I watched it today even I wasn't even trying to repeat it but I was already, already thinking oh I'm going to repeat this right I took a, a bike ride I was at Spirit Rock it's my day off on Sunday so I thought okay I'll stay at Spirit Rock I'll ride in West Marin which is drop dead beautiful gorgeous day and I take this ride and I just had a had a wonderful bike ride by myself and I went early and hardly any traffic and a few bikers out and, and, and by the time I was getting back I watched my mind it was like oh I've got to do this again I got to do it again early in the morning on Sunday that's you know and I, and I saw oh I wanted to have the same experience and I know I know you know like I said and I really know oh it'll never ever ever happen again the way it happened today never ever especially the part where I was riding back right near the end and somebody pulled up really close to me in the car and threw a bottle of water at me <laughs> it was the weirdest thing it was like <laughs> <laughs> I was in such a good mood I didn't even get quite upset but I was like I did think oh if they would have hit me that wouldn't have been so good I don't think they were trying to hit me I think they were trying to splash me but and I'm really glad that'll probably never ever happen again <laughs> you know <laughs> so it, it can work both ways remember that's one of the really good things about impermanence when you're having a hard time it's also impermanent it's also impermanent and again part of the art of practice is sitting with change sitting with impermanence sitting with our body and our breath and beginning not just intellectually but in some kind of felt sense way knowing the impermanence and at a certain point especially on a long retreat like this two month retreat that can become really highlighted for people people will walk out sometimes from the meditation hall and they just see the day appearing magically and then they watch the night disappear and, and the whole sense of reality starts to have a much more vivid, alive, fresh uh, um, uh, revelatory expression to it we begin to see with the eyes of wisdom we can see impermanence 
it's actually very, very, very moving to have the good fortune to be able to be with people when they're looking this deeply at reality, when they're letting reality permeate them in this way and staying awake for it. So, so the commitment that's needed, the time, the devotion, because it's, it's actually not easy. If you're here to have an easy time, you can leave now. If you're here to wake up, you're in the right place. If you're here to see what's true, you're in the right place. If you're here just to feel good, again, it's not the right, this isn't the right teaching for you. One has to be willing, one has to be willing to look directly at our self, at our life, at reality, in order to awaken. This is from Audubon, W-H, excuse me, Auden. He said, we would rather be ruined, we would rather be ruined than change. We would rather die with our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. It's a beautiful image. Climb the cross of the moment, of this moment. And this is where that the goal and the process come together is always right here. This moment. This is the only moment there is in your life. Is that clear? <laughs> and then this is the only moment of your life. It's such a it's such a simple but difficult truth impermanence. Orchestrated, accompanied. Just feel your body now. This is part of it. And this is a, a continual part of this, the skill that's learned is to keep reorienting towards what's happening in your seat. Um, Munindra, who was Joseph Goldstein's teacher, one of my teacher's teacher, used to say, the whole Dharma sits here. The whole Dharma is sitting in your seat. The whole Dharma is looking at me, seeing me. The whole Dharma is speaking right here. You don't, it's, it's great to go on retreat. It's great to go at spirit, to Spirit Rock. But Spirit Rock, the retreat only works because you are the Dharma. This is for later in the talk, but it got here sooner. So, Part of the skill of practice is learning how to make mistakes gracefully. Learning how to enjoy making mistakes. Learning how to appreciate having the time and wherewithal and presence to try things and see what works and what doesn't work. One of the most basic, fundamental teachings you, you were already given tonight. Be mindful of your body and the breathing. 
that teaching can take you all the way to liberation. All the way. And that teaching in the process of going, if we're patient, if we're committed, if we're willing to be with what's true, it will teach us how it will take us to liberation. In other words, if we're willing to be with how difficult it is, which it is, to simply be present with our life's breath, to pay attention to it, to start to become unfragmented in that way, more whole, more unified, it will teach us how to do that. And so we can try. Well, how, you know, we don't know at first. So one of the paradoxes of all of this is knowing and not knowing. Knowing and not knowing. Like we all know that we're, we have a body and it's breathing and we all can, generally we can feel our breath for one breath, two breaths. But how about for an hour of breath? Or a day of breath? Or a week of just being with your breath? Just being with your body and the breathing? One of my favorite quotes, which I hope I can find, says, it's from one of my other teacher's teachers, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. You, you could just work with that teaching for a lifetime. In your investigation of the world, never let the mind desert the body. Never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine the body. Examine its nature. See what it's composed of. See the impermanence, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth timeless and delivered. This is from Ajahn Mun, who died in the 1950s, who was a wandering monk in Thailand. When the true nature of the body is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. So knowing and not knowing is one of the paradoxical principles that we will begin to learn how to deal with. Okay, I know the breath, I know the body, but I don't know how to stay with it. Now we get to have some fun in a Vipassana kind of way. Which means, how do we do it? How do we stay present with our body? How do we bring body and mind together? You can't do that intellectually. You have to try. You have to practice. You have to play with it. You have to explore it. You have to see what takes you away from the body. And of course, if you try to stay with the body and breathing, mostly what will take us away is our thoughts and our ideas and our beliefs and our imaginings and our memories and our wantings and our not wantings. And we want to see all of that. That is all good. That is all good. That, that informs us. That teaches us. Oh, this is what minds do. Minds just do their thing. Right? You all, anybody, let's, the word in Pali is papancha. 
And it's a beautiful word, papancha. Let's say it once together. Papancha. Yeah, good. It's got a good feel to the mouth. Papancha. Good. Papancha means, it's like this. Okay, I go to sit, right? I'm going to be with the body and breath. Ah, oh, it's good, nice breath. I rode. It was such a great ride, and I just can breathe so deeply now. Why the hell did that guy throw that thing at me? <laughs> Boy, I could have I gotten hurt. Maybe I should have gotten his license number. But I was in such a groove right then. I was really in that groove. But, and, but I'm a little worried about my foot. I've got this little metatarsal pain. And I wonder if that's because of the lifts that I'm wearing in my shoes these days. And God, maybe I need some new shoes. I like those Ugg things, but I don't know. Can you wear them outside, the Uggs? I don't know. I saw some people wearing them when I was at the forest refuge earlier. and They looked really cool. But I, you don't even need those at the Forest Refuge. They have the cork floors, and it's so quiet there. I just love the quiet. It's so easy to be with the breath when it's so quiet. Right? right? That's papancha. That's what minds do. And it's not personal. <laughs> That's the good news. Remember, mind in Buddhism is a sense door. Like if you have an eye, if you have eyes and you open them, they see. Or ears and they work, you hear. If you have a mind, it thinks. It, does, it creates thought. And the thought, sometimes the thoughts are really good and sometimes they're just papancha. <laughs> it's, it said the mind is a terrible, ser- a terrible master and a wonderful servant. And so part of learning how to meditate is learning how to organize our mind in a way that we haven't been trained. It's a training of the heart and mind. And so when we see that we're lost in papancha, we don't actually have to feel bad at all. It's a good thing to see that because then we can start to see what's it like to feel our body and the breath right now. And if we're devoted to practice, If we love the Dharma or we love freedom or we love awakening, then we're going to do that as many times as we need to so that we can begin to see what the truth is. And what I've seen over 25 years of practice is actually I have a lot less papancha. I still have it. But first of all, not only do I have less, it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. It's just papancha. It's just something that happens. Like when the, when the police siren goes by, it's not a problem, at least for us right now, you know. It could be for somebody, but, but it's, just the, it's just a sound. It's not a problem. Sometimes it might take us away from our meditation, from our breath and body. Sometimes not. Of course, there's other... Now, again, I'm just giving one style of meditation, which is really good to learn gathering, composing, uh, uh, collecting, the sense of composure and concentration and samadhi. Then there's other styles of meditation totally open. And so then we learn how to be present moment by moment with a sound, and then a breath, and then a feeling, and then mindful of thought. 
moment by moment by moment by moment. And we, one of the things that I've seen is that it's helpful to use everything we know and then also to let go of everything we know. And that's part of the art of practice. So when I go to sit down and be with the body and breath, I don't try to recreate what happened before. Even though I know all kinds of good ways to do it, first I want to see what is reality giving me now. And the metaphor I use, you'll excuse me if you're not a sports fan or a football fan, but it's a football metaphor. In football, when the quarterback comes up you know, to the line, he looks at the other team and his, if he's a good quarterback, he wants to see what is the defense giving him? What is the defense doing? And then he's going to respond to that. In the same way, with any meditation, the first thing we want to see is what is reality giving us right now? And so as I sit down, well, what's the body like now? Not how am I trying to get it to be, or what's the breath like now? Not how am I trying to get it to be. What's the mind like now? Not how am I trying to get it, but what's actually here first? Because if I'm open to what's here, then I can start to respond. If I don't know what's here, and I'm open to what's here, then I can use my knowing to respond skillfully so that I can meditate, so that I can practice. Now, another paradox that's very important in, the, in developing the skills and the art of practice is really taking it seriously. It, it's, I don't know anything more important than Dharma, personally. I don't know anything more important than uh, learning how to pay attention to ourselves. I don't know anything more important than learning how to free our hearts and minds from the entanglements so that we can function from a place of freedom and liberation. It's serious. It's really, 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 really serious. But if we take it too seriously, it'll get heavy. So here's the paradox. It's, as far as I'm concerned, it's life or death. And if we take it too seriously, we'll kill it. Here's one of the stories I heard on retreat that I thought you might enjoy. This goes, in 1969, right out of graduate school, I was drafted into the U.S. Army. After I got new clothing, a haircut, vaccinations, etc., I filled out a stack of forms. One asked me for my religion. Feeling rebellious, I wrote, Druid. <coughs> and in parentheses, Reformed. <laughs> Two weeks later, I received my dog tag, stamped with my name, social security number, blood type, and Druid reformed in parentheses. <laughs> I wondered how the army would administer last rites for that. And he says he was stationed uh, for many months, uh, he was stationed stateside for a number of months and was looking forward to a big uh, date. 
on Saturday night when the commander suddenly canceled all weekend passes. He says a large anti-war protest was scheduled and he feared many soldiers would attend. <laughs> I was determined to go on the date. Discovering there was to be a full moon that particular weekend, I requested a two-day pass to celebrate a religious holiday. <laughs> the commanding officer was skeptical. What the hell religion are you? I told him I was a druid. <laughs> And the last full moon before the winter solstice was our high holy day. <laughs> he demanded to see my dog tags. <laughs> so I showed them to him. <laughs> he looked at them in stunned silence for a moment and then granted me the pass. As I was on my way out, he said, wait, wait a second, don't you guys kill goats? No, sir, I said. That's the Orthodox. I'm reformed. <laughs> so one of the great paradoxes is how to be really serious because it's really about our heart's deepest longing our heart's deepest longing. And you'll each have a different word for it. It may be freedom, or it may be liberation, or it may be love, or it may be, uh, uh, it may be interconnectedness, or it may be wholeness. Whatever the word is that brings you here, whatever that deepest longing is, it's very serious. And part of the skill of practice is learning how to take the whole process lightly and to even take ourselves lightly in the process as we give ourselves totally to it in a very serious way. And what's beautiful about that, what's really beautiful about it, is in some sense when we can start to dance like that, where we give everything and relax, the Dharma reveals itself more and more and more. Because, as I said earlier, it's already here. So one of the paradoxes, one of the other paradoxes, is that you are what you seek. You are what you seek. The freedom you seek is actually right here. The love, it's, at, it's your nature. The kindness or compassion you may seek is, is inherent. These things aren't somewhere else. They're to be found here. And it's such a noble, worthy uh, effort to, to spend our time, to spend our life realizing them, illuminating them, liberating them, letting them come forward so that they can function here in this human world which so needs our love and our kindness and our compassion and our wisdom and our clarity and our wakefulness. And this may be available in any moment. In any moment. And so much of it has to do with the art of letting go. Letting go of the past, letting go of the future, letting go of our ideas, letting go of our beliefs, and letting what lives here 
reveal itself. I was doing I was doing the metta meditation. Metta meditation is loving kindness practice. So once a day we do a formal period of loving kindness practice on the retreat. And um, and the day before Marie Manschutz, who was co-teacher, had done a metta where she had people uh, remember an image of themselves as a child, an image that they felt kindly towards or warm towards. And then do the metta for yourself, loving kindness for oneself, which is always a wonderful place to start, to just offer the, these thoughts and feelings of goodwill and love and care for, for oneself. And often it's hard for people, and it's easier if they remember themselves as a child. And it's a great way to do metta. And uh, it's actually classic. In the classical text, they say, bring up an image and then offer the phrases. And so I was following on that yesterday, and I said, well, let's start now today with an image. First, the people were working with an image as a baby or a young toddler. And then we went to like 9, 10, 11, 12, like pre-adolescent image. Whatever the Im- if the if the image was you had a difficult adole- pre-adolescence or you were awkward or it was you went to sports or something and it was vibrant. And, and then of course we went to teenager, which is often a hard time for people, and to see oneself and offer thoughts and feelings of goodwill. Let, let the heart speak is what happens when you do metta. Let the heart express its care and, and kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. And then, um, and then we went to kind of young adult and it was near the end of the retreat. And I said, and I hadn't planned on this, but it made sense. I said, now just feel what's here. What's here that's not an image. That's not an idea. That's not a picture. And let your metta be for what's here. And really it, it is more turning to the depth of what's here. This heart and mind that is, you know, is said to be embodied here in each of us. That is the, has the possibility for awakening. This is from the Vasudhi Maga, one of the great uh, commentaries in the Theravada tradition. It said, if the seed of the truth seeker did not exist in everyone, there would be no turning away from the entanglements of the heart. And one of the ways the Buddha described suffering as the tangle, he said, who can untangle this tangle? For the one who can untangle the tangle, there is freedom, there is happiness to be found. And they say in the Vasudhimaga, if the seed element of the truth seeker were not, it, it did not exist in each person, in everyone, there would be no turning away from the entanglements of the heart nor could there be a longing for liberation, nor a seeking for it, nor a finding of it. That it's already here within you, both the, the one who seeks and the one who knows. And so there is this great paradox of seeking and being what we seek. And I'll end with a quote from Ryokan, my good friend, poet, who said, the Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. 
Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. And remember, classically, heart and mind are one word. Chitta, one word. So we could say, your, you know, the Buddha is your heart. The Buddha is your heart mind. And the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. Let's sit together for a minute, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.